Thank you for tuning in to this message from Kingdom Airs International, headquarters located in Flagstaff, Arizona. So I want to share uh, just a brief story with you guys before we get into tonight. And I want to um, just kind of prophetically steward the service, how the Holy Spirit was uh, inspiring me the other day, which I think is really cool and exciting. And actually, we'll go ahead and do that while I'm um, sharing with you guys a story kind of that goes along with tonight. But um, as I was preparing for tonight, and it's a big it's such a big shift. It's one of those shifts that we've become accustomed to every so often. And typically Megan will steward us graciously through the transition. And uh, so what the, what the Spirit was showing me that as, as I know Missy recapped the service from last week, and man, I watched it and it was extremely powerful for me to sit back and watch a son and a daughter carry a family through a transition like articulate poignant direction safeguarding grace encouragement i mean there was so much in there and um so on the other side of that shift as i was praying for tonight as we're stepping into heritage and the pillar of heritage the the holy spirit was telling me i want you i want the family's ears to be anointed to hear And so, because part of what we're getting into and part of the reason why we haven't been aware of it or connected to our heritage in a way is because our faith has been deaf. And so, as I'm sharing this story that kind of relates to tonight, it's an invitation. You don't have to come up here and do it. Um, You know, we operate by the spirit of invitation. So, what the Spirit showed me was invite people to come up and get their ears anointed to hear as we step into heritage because it's important what Yahweh is going to impart to us tonight because he's connecting us to, we're connected to the Father, but there's kind of a gap because he wants to connect us to forefathers in between him and us. Okay, so as I'm telling the story, if you want to come up here, it's not a prayer thing. Mom is literally going to anoint your ears to hear and put oil on your ears as we talk about this, okay? Um, So feel free to come up. But what I wanted to share with you guys before we get into tonight, um, when we went to to D.C. with Amber and Jason, uh, 2018 in February, I don't know what's going to happen with this. So if, if stuff starts happening or whatever, we'll just go with it. <laughs> um, but so in 2018, in February, we went to D.C. And I was praying as a result of some actually uh, a time of getting together with some people at John and Megan's house. And they were praying for me about my my history being a disconnect between me and my father, basically me and my history. And there was a disconnect and I was praying about it um, before we went to DC. And Yahweh told me, he said, you are gonna be connected to your history in a way you never have before through your uncle who we were gonna be staying with. And so that's all he said. I didn't know what that meant or what was going to happen. But when we got to my uncle's house, we stayed there for about a week. I was hanging on everything he said. 
I was watching him like a hawk because I said, I was, I was just thinking to myself, Yahweh told me my history and my heritage is going to be connected and understood in a way that I've never understood before through him. And so I watched and I was, I was vigilant about everything he said. When he wasn't talking, I was asking him questions. Because I knew some, something is gonna, something's going to click. There's going to be a moment and there's going to be this whole world of heritage that I never knew about before that was going to be opened up to me. And so just a little bit about my family before I say what that moment was. My mother, this is my mom's older brother. On my mom's side of the family, the entire family is all Cape Verdean. When I say Cape Verdean or Cabo Verde, it's a group of small islands off the west coast of Africa, just like 30 miles west of Senegal is where these tiny islands are. They're just tiny dots on the map. Her entire family is from there. And I'm like one generation dismissed from the family that came over from, from Cape Verde. And they're all Cape Verdean. They're all 100% full-blooded Cape Verdean, which if you know the history sounds kind of funny because Cape Verdeans are like everybody people. They're a mix of everyone, okay? And my family, they have a lot of pride in that. It's like Cabo Verde, Cabo Verde, right? Like anytime you go there, they speak Portuguese, everything's Cape Verdean, the food's Cape Verdean, the flags are flying outside, right? You're, it's just, it's, it's like that. It's a very, it's a, a very full of pride to be Cape Verdean, okay? And so I grew up understanding this about my mom's side of the family and that level of, of pride in that history, I took that on. And until 2018, I was 36, 36 years old, 37, I don't know, 36 or 37. 2018, for the majority of my life at this point, I understood the history of my mom's side of the family to be Cape Verdean. That's it, that's, his, that's where it ends. That's the fullness of it, 100%. And so we're having dinner with my uncle and he's talking about, he's, he's kind of the family historian and he's got DNA charts and family tree charts and he's got things traced back. I mean, he puts in huge amounts of research into these things and he's been doing it for years. And so he's telling me, yeah, I've, I've got all this new research and of course I love to hear that stuff. And he's like, after dinner, I'll show you. So he's rolling out all these, you know, he's a computer engineer. He's got it all mapped out and everything. And he goes, yeah. And after, so we're talking about it for hours, right? I'm hanging on every word. We're talking about it for hours. And then when we're like, it seems like we're done talking about it. And he goes, and you know the weird thing? He goes, the weirdest thing I found is there's Jewish cemeteries on the Cape Verde Islands. And it, like, it, it, it makes me shake right now thinking about when he said it. Because it hit me like a ton of bricks. I've been waiting. I've been waiting. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I had been doing a little bit of research before that, that I, had, I didn't know it had anything to do with that. And when he said that, I was like, what? What did you just say? And he goes, yeah, there's Jewish cemeteries all over the islands. There's five islands. There, you, can't even, you can look on a globe, you can't even see them. They're so small. And when he said that, it, it opened up 
the research that I've done from that point to now has been so extensive and so uh, clarifying as to our family history to the point to where I called my mom maybe five, six months ago and everything that I had been researching just in my studies with the father, family history, all that was to the point to where I called my mom and I was like, mom, your family is, your entire family are Sephardic Jews. This is where you came from. I was telling her the whole thing started with the Catholic Inquisition from Portugal and Spain, and they were expelled because they were forced to convert or die to Catholicism, this whole thing. And I was telling her the whole thing, the history of the Cape Verde Islands, the first time people were there, the Cape Verdeans were the first people to inhabit those islands, but where did they come from? And I'm telling my mom all this stuff, and she's laughing at me like, you're crazy. And I'm like, mom, your entire family is Sephardic Jews to the point to where the Montero name is really the Spanish name, Monte Arroyo. And I found that name on a list of Sephardic Jewish surnames that left Portugal. Right? And I'm just like, mom, I'm telling her all this stuff. Right? The heritage was opened up to me. And this was only in 2018. I could have gone to my grave not knowing the fullness of my heritage. And the funny thing is, it was a graveyard that opened that up to me. Right? He's rolling out the thing and I'm like, this is it. It's going to be on here somewhere, right? And then we're done with that. And I'm just like, man, what is it? Oh, and he's like, you know, yeah, the funny thing, there's these grave sites all over. And it just like, Right? And I just, I wanted to share that story because uh, to me, it's so powerful that my uncle is a patriarch on my mom's side of the family. He is the patriarch now. And I think it's so cool that Yahweh gave me that experience because it's kind of like a powerful precursor to what we're getting into as a body and as a family. Because... You, the, the sad thing about it is you can think you understand the fullness of your heritage and you can, there can be so much more until it's made known to you, you don't know what you don't know, right? And I had no idea that there was this whole area of my heritage that Yahweh was unlocking and he was so intentional about it. He said, something's going to be unlocked through your uncle on this trip. He told me, and I knew 100,000%, by the time we leave DC, I'm going to understand something about my heritage that I never knew before. It's a powerful story. I I, I have to like pause because I'll I'll get emotional about it. And just the, the magnitude of what we're getting into. And it's so overwhelming because I don't even, I mean, I'm, I'm, I was wondering how, how long can Missy stall? I was sitting in there laughing, like how long can she keep going? Cause I could have just kept studying in there, you know? It's just like overwhelming what God's doing. Um, I wanna talk about, before I kind of get into the meat of it, I wanna talk about the Apostles' Creed. How many have heard that term, the Apostles' Creed? Even if you haven't heard the term, you're probably familiar with it. You've probably heard it. You've probably read it. 
If you've ever looked at a church's statement of faith, probably there's a really good chance, like a 98% chance that that statement of faith is, is based on, or almost word for word, the Apostles' Creed. And I don't wanna to get too crazy into the history of it, because we'll probably go into it at some point, um, but if you go back to the, the third and fourth century, you'll find the origins of the Apostles' Creed. And kind of what was happening at the time was you had the Roman Church under Constantine, the Roman Catholic Church, you had the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire was so large and expansive geographically, what Constantine wanted to do was get all the church leaders from all the areas in Rome under different kind of different sects of leadership. He wanted to bring them all together and bring uh, kind of a, a centralized agreement on the things of scripture. Okay, so it was, it was kind of this element of control. We want everybody in the Roman church, which if you think about it, it was state and government was not separate. The government said, this is the church we're bringing together these people. We're going to establish, they didn't say we're going to establish an Apostles' Creed, but we're going to establish a centralized belief system so that everybody in the Roman Empire falls under the same belief. Okay? Does that make sense? Is everybody tracking? Now, the, it, it's just an interesting element that I mentioned. Um, that there was no separation of church and state. That wasn't a thing, okay? And this is important because the way, when we look at the things that, how we operate, the ways that we believe as a Protestant church, right? Or what we would normally have called ourselves a Protestant. <laughs> I wouldn't consider us that anymore, um, which is weird to say. I mean, if, pe if people just, if I were to say that at a prayer meeting in the greater church community, I'd, pr I'd probably be looked at like a heretic or something. I don't know, but um, <laughs> when you look at the Apostles' Creed, what does it say? Does anybody know it? Does any, has anybody memorized it? Uh, I think it's like, we believe in... That's crazy. Yeah, so some of the, okay, so basically this is what I want to point out about the Apostles' Creed. It talks about, right, think about a statement of faith. This is what we believe. A church, a Protestant Christian church will take the, the Apostles' Creed and they'll use it as a baseline to say this is our formal statement of beliefs, right? It's important, right? If you go somewhere or if you associate in, you know, a greater community or whatever, it's important to know what people believe in. So there's a formal statement that says, this is what we believe in. And like I said, those are based off the Apostles' Creed. Well, if we go back to that, 
knowing the history of what I talked about, kind of the minimal context that we went into, what the Apostles' Creed talks about is the origin of Jesus Christ, right? The divine birth of Jesus Christ, the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the impartation of the Holy Spirit, the divine nature of Jesus Christ, okay? Now I'm gonna read it again, but what, what is not included in that is Yeshua's life as a man. Okay, and I'm not, I'm not talking about the Apostles' Creed because I'm saying it's bad or we're gonna dismantle that or anything. <laughs> like we're not, we're not doing that. What I wanna do is just clarify how there's this subtle thing that's not in there and how, how ingrained the Apostles' Creed is in us, even if you've never heard of it, right? It influences your thinking and how you perceive things. Okay. Um, at that time in the Roman, in the, in the Roman empire, I would consider the thinking to be Greek or Hellenistic as far as how they looked at truth. And one of the things that Yahweh is, and we've talked about it before, but one of the things that he's impressing upon us is how do we relate to truth, right? If you think like a Greek, truth is right or wrong. You're going to take the truth. It has to be coherent and it has to be related to the reality or the logic of what you're seeing. Okay. And we talk about Greek mindset, Hebrew mindset. I, I think another way to put it is a Greek to a Greek truth is information. Knowledge is information. To a Hebrew, knowledge is intimacy. There's a whole nother dimension of knowing somebody or something because of the aspect of covenant. Okay, let me say that again. If, if you're a Greek, how you look at knowledge or truth is because you have information and it logically relates to what you're looking at. Okay, so I can, I, can, I can have information about John and Megan. I can observe something about them. I can have, understand some reality about them. And as a Greek thinker, I can look at them and say, I have knowledge of them because I have lots of information about them. Does that make sense? As a Hebrew thinker, if, if I can have that information, I can have knowledge, I can understand things, I can observe things, I can have a reality that I understand about them. But as a Hebrew thinker, there's another dimension of covenant where I have my knowledge supersedes all of that because now I have intimacy with them through covenant. I mean, just think about it. Just think about, I mean, you could, you could examine your own thoughts on how you perceive things and what you know about things, you, you could really go into a deep level of examination. Like, what, how am I thinking? What do I know and how am I knowing it? Is it because of information? Or is it superseding information and going into a level of covenant where a dimension of intimacy and knowledge that information can't provide is being opened up to you? Okay? 
So when you think about the Apostles' Creed and you, and you look at it, I'm not saying that I'm not saying anything about how you may interact with these dynamics right now. What I'm trying to point out is when they were centralizing a system of belief for an expansive kingdom, an empire, right? This was a practical matter. They wanted to bring people together, leaders from different regions. Okay, this is what we believe, A, B, and C. This is how we're going to articulate it. We're going to name it as a creed. We're going to make it official, send you back, disperse it to your people so that every single person in the Roman Empire has this information about God. Okay, so, so, we're, so there's this basis. I mean, I watched videos today about you know, just how great the Apostles' Creed and, you know, Constantine, if it wasn't for Constantine, and I'm not, I'm not putting that out there because I'm getting into that, but I'm just saying how, how ingrained it is, even if you've never heard of this, if you've never read a statement of faith, you're being, you're being influenced by it when you sit in a Protestant church that has a statement of faith based on the Apostles' Creed. Okay? Good? Oh, I thought you were going to jump. So I'm just trying to convey like how, how we've come to the places that we've come to, okay? And what's important about this is what's not in there is the relational discipleship aspect of Yeshua the man, his life, the 33 years he was on the earth. That is, if you read over it, it skips right over it. His origin, his divine birth, his sacrificial death. From his divine birth to his sacrificial death and nothing in between. Okay? Resurrection, impartation of the Holy Spirit. Talks about all those things. Forgiveness of sins, all that stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the reason why that's important is because when you look at Yeshua's life, it's kind of funny because, and I think we all know this, but it's kind of weird to hear it. Um, but Yeshua was not a Christian. Right? I mean, it sounds, it sounds weird when you say it because you would think like, well, it would make sense if he was a Christian, right? He wasn't a Christian. He wasn't born a Christian. He didn't live a Christian life. In fact, if, if he was here now looking at, you know, third, fourth, fifth century Christians and how the, the religion of Christianity has, has evolved to today, he wouldn't recognize it. So, so when you really start thinking about these things and, and just because we're talking about heritage, that's why I want to bring in the kind of some historical context. I'm not claiming to be an expert on, you know, the Roman uh, Empire and the councils and all that stuff, but just a little bit of historical context because when you look at our heritage, God has taken us from an outward knowledge to an inward intimacy, right? That's it. That has to happen for us to understand our heritage. And when you look at just the example of the Apostles' Creed, we miss out on the Jewishness, okay? I'm going to say Jewishness 
of his life. When you look at how the disciples, uh, how they related to Yeshua, he was their master. He was a teacher. He was effectively a rabbi. Right. He wasn't, he wasn't a pastor. The thing, the ways they related to him, Let me just talk about what his identity was as it was revealed to the disciples. He was a rabbi. He was a prophet that superseded all the other prophets. He was the Messiah and he was Lord. Okay, I'm not saying that he wasn't like he wasn't looked at as other things, but primarily as his identity unfolded, he was those four things. Does that make sense that we we're kind of posturing ourselves to, to look at, okay, we under, as Protestant Christians, we're very familiar with the divinity of Yeshua. Does that make sense? We're very familiar with, he, he's eternal. He was, he was uh, before he became flesh, he was with God. He was the word, the word was with God, right? We understand that. We understand that he was born of a divine nature. We understand that he lived a sacrificial life and he was uh, uh, betrayed by Pontius Pilate and he died for our sins and he rose again. We understand those things, right? But a lot of times we can read the gospels, we can read the parables, we can read about his three years of ministry and not necessarily connect to the, the Jewishness of who he was, So I, I, I say all those things to kind of point us, like hone us in on a direction and hone us in on an area of where we're going. And my goal for tonight is just to lay a foundation for the continued uh, impartation of heritage and the continued connection that Yahweh has for us. If we, um, if we, dis, if we define heritage according to the scripture, Heritage is an assigned lot to occupy a place of harvest as received from fathers. So we have a heritage. We have a lot, a portion that's been assigned to us. We have a place of harvest that we're supposed to occupy as we've received it from our fathers. So my question for tonight that I want to talk about is who are they and how are we being reconnected to them? And understanding at the same time that as we go through this, that if we've been disconnected from this, then we're not receiving our heritage or we're, or we're, we're not, we're receiving something, but it may not be the ones that we're, it's, it may not be the place of harvest that you're supposed to occupy, that your fathers are, are giving you. Deuteronomy 4.20 says, But you, Adonai, has taken, and he has brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of heritage. I mean, that's a pretty broad perspective on who Yahweh is, what he did, bringing us out of Egypt, bringing us out of the furnace, and declaring us a people of heritage, which means there's fathers, there's forefathers that, are, that have assigned you 
a place of harvest to occupy. Now we're going to be talking quite a bit about the book of Romans and Apostle Paul. Um, basically, the, the, the book of Romans is a, is a good explanation of salvation being offered through the gospel of Yeshua. The book of Romans is widely considered to be the most systematic theology on righteousness, salvation, the presentation of Christian doctrine throughout all the scriptures. Okay, Christian doctrine. The book of Romans is where you can look to kind of get the, the summary of how the kingdom works, what God did, how we're affected by it, uh, and, and the result of all that. Okay, um, another thing I want to say that, that is kind of going to kind of shift how we're moving forward in heritage is thinking about theology. Okay, theology is man's speculation on what God says. Okay, and you really can't escape theology. I mean, you can't, you, everybody has, whether it's like a, a typical labeled theology that is very common or not, you can develop your own theology because it's your own speculation on what God says. Okay, I think God, part of our original intent is God bringing us back to something called theonomy, where you respond to what God says because it's self-evident. Like you don't question it, you respond to it. Okay, now that's, I, 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 that's kind of a hard thing to say and people could pick that apart because you could, it's kind of hard to respond to what God says without speculating on it, right? But my point is there's a foundation that God wants to take us back to. And this is something that's highlighted and we'll get into it between two groups of people. One operates in theology, one operates primarily in theonomy. One operates in speculating on what God's saying and one group operates primarily in responding to what God's saying, okay? So just keep that in mind. Romans is widely considered the most systematic presentation of Christian doctrine in all the scriptures. It covers the sinfulness of humanity, grace and justification by faith in Yeshua, redemption and salvation through the blood, sanctification and holiness in following Yeshua. Okay, that's kind of the broad spectrum of the book of Romans. Now, I want to talk about kind of the context of when this book was written and what was happening. Paul was in Rome speaking to the Roman church, which consisted of Jewish believers, Gentile believers, Messianic believers, uh, people that were uh, pagans that didn't believe anything, that were going off the deep end and, and just deeply engrossed in sin. And among all those different groups of people, there was tension between some of them and a lot of different dynamics were going on because of what they believed, right? Some had arrogance about the other groups. There was just a lot of tension. And so Paul was coming in to bring the, the gospel, the good news to the Roman church. And going back to what I said, he was presenting the most systematic theology on Christian doctrine to this nation or this church of Romans. Okay, now, 
when you look at what he was dealing with and how complex it was, uh, there was this chief thought among the Gentile believers in the Roman church that they were superior to the Jews. There was a lot of Gentiles. The majority of the Roman church were Gentile believers. And there was a thought of superiority to the Jews. And we'll get into it, but just keep that in mind. And basically what this, if, if I could put a name on this, it's, it's what led to replacement theology or displacement theology. Okay? And I'll, and I'll come back to that in a minute. But basically this feeling of superiority or arrogance as a Gentile superseding a Jew because of what you believe led to this thing that you're now out and I'm in. You have been replaced and now I'm in. The Jewish people have been replaced and now the Gentile people are in. You've been replaced, you've been displaced, okay? Now, when you, when you look at Romans one through eight, okay, like I said, widely considered to be just the most systematic, laid out, clear and concise Christian doctrine, quote unquote. Okay, now as, as Protestant Christian scholars, a lot of times will look at Romans nine, 10 and 11 as kind of a, like a weird addition to chapters one through eight. And they'll look at it like kind of like a odd parentheses or an odd add-on on the end. And it's like, well, like one guy, I can't remember his name, but his, he's basically quoted as saying, uh, Apostle Paul must have been carrying like a old sermon from the synagogue in his briefcase. And for some reason he just added it into the book of Romans, okay? <clears throat> They're frequently considered chapters 9, 10, and 11 to be less relevant than the first eight, according to Protestant thought. All right, let's go to uh, Romans 9 real quick, verse 1. Now, remember what I said about kind of the, the context of the Roman church in the dynamics, the complex dynamics that were going on. And here you have Apostle Paul, who was a self-proclaimed Pharisee, right? He referred to himself in scripture as a Hebrew of Hebrews because he was so, he followed the law to such a T. He was raised in the law so much so that he was circumcised on the eighth day. I mean, his family followed the law to a T. Hence him calling himself a Pharisee, right? So he understands these different dynamics because he also calls himself an apostle to the Gentiles, okay? Romans chapter nine, we'll read uh, one through five. The role of Israel, I tell the truth in Messiah, I do not lie. My conscience assuring me in the Ruach HaKodesh that my sorrow is great in the anguish in my heart unending. For I would pray that I myself were cursed, banished from Messiah for the sake of my people. 
my own flesh and blood who are Israelites. Okay? So he's making a point that he would, he would gladly take the place of what's happened to the nation of Israel, but, he, but what he is saying is he, his people are the Israelites. To them belong the adoption and the glory and the covenants, plural, and the giving of the Torah and the temple service and the promises. To them, to Israel, his people, to them belong the patriarchs. Okay? He's saying to, the, to my people, the nation of Israel, belong the forefathers. The patriarchs belong to the nation of Israel. And from them, according to the flesh, the Messiah who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. So he's, he's making the point. He's, first he's saying how his level of anguish and sorrow because of the status of the, of the nation of Israel in the Israelite people, okay? So on one hand, he's acknowledging the status of the nation of the people of Israel, but then he's also reinforcing the fact that to them belongs the adoption, the glory, the patriarchs, and also Messiah who's over everything. Okay, are you guys tracking? Keep track. Because it's important as we get to where we're going and where replacement theology comes in so strong because people aren't understanding what Paul is saying. Let's go to Romans 9, verse 16. I thought this was very important. And, and if you just, if you read through 9, 10, and 11, and you read through it with a mindset that is genuinely Hebrew, where there's another level of knowledge through the intimacy of covenant, it takes you, you read it totally different. But verse 16 says, so then it does not depend on the one who wills or the one who strives, but on God who shows mercy. Okay, I mean, just I'm, if we kept reading it, it just, it leads up to Romans 11 in such a way that it, that it shifts how you see the olive tree. But what Paul is basically saying is, if you have two parties or two houses or two groups of people, it doesn't matter this one or that one. What matters is God's mercy over both. <coughs> okay. Now, before we go to Romans 11, I want you to go to Ephesians 2. And if you want to add or jump in at any point, go ahead. <laughs> now, I want, I've, I found myself being like, I got to, I got to, I have to preface Romans 11 with Ephesians 2. And I wasn't even thinking that Ephesians 2 is the ministry of reconciliation. When we preached on the ministry of reconciliation, it was these verses. And I wasn't necessarily connecting that dot, but I was thinking I need to preface Romans 11 by talking about the ministry of reconciliation because basically Paul starts out by talking about, he's talking to the Gentiles, which is ethnos, 
which means nations, okay? He's speaking to the nations and he's saying, this was your former state before Yeshua, okay? Destined for wrath, saved by grace is the title. Excuse me. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Actually, let me see. Sorry, let's go to verse 11. Jew and Gentile, one in Messiah. Verse 11, Ephesians 2. Therefore, keep in mind that once you Gentiles in the flesh... Okay, he's talking to the nations and he's saying, you were once in the flesh, your former state. He's talking to the Gentile believers, but he's, he's highlighting their former state. You were called uncircumcised by those called circumcised, which is performed on flesh by hand. At that time, you were separate from Messiah. Okay, so that's number one. In your former state, and we can all relate to this, we were separate from Messiah. Okay, number two, we were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Okay, that's number two. Number three, we were strangers to the covenants, plural, covenants of promise, which is singular. There's one promise and multiple covenants. We had no hope and were without God in the world. But now in Messiah Yeshua, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. Okay, what's interesting about this and what I want to highlight is when he says you were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Before you were saved by grace through faith in Yeshua Messiah, you were a stranger and excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Basically what that means is, what, what is the commonwealth of Israel? Okay, we should know, we should be interested to know because if he's saying your former state meant you were excluded from this, then it means now that you've been grafted in, you have access to the commonwealth of Israel. What does that mean? It means the order of life inherited from the fathers, which was ordained by Torah. Okay, what fathers? What fathers? What patriarchs? The ones that belong to Israel. Okay, we good? The commonwealth of Israel is the order of life inherited from the fathers which were ordained by Torah. And like I said, when you think about the definition of heritage or inheritance, it's a a portion or a lot that has been assigned to you by forefathers. Okay? You see the theme of the root of forefathers and patriarchs. They belong to Israel. Okay? We were strangers to the covenants, plural, 
Okay, Abrahamic, Abraham's covenant, Moses's covenant, okay? Covenants, plural, of promise, singular. Okay? Let me finish reading Ephesians 2. For he is our shalom, the one who made the two into one and broke down the middle wall of separation. Within his flesh he made powerless the hostility, the law code of mitzvot contained in regulations. He did this in order to create within himself one new man from the two groups, making peace and reconciling both to God in one body through the cross, by which he put hostility to death. Now think about that in terms of Paul is, he's, he's going to the Roman church where he knows there's Gentile believers that, had, that embrace a, a mindset of superiority and arrogance over the Jews because they're thinking that you're out and we're in. It's one or the other. There's a dividing wall of hostility. Okay, if you guys remember the ministry of reconciliation, you should go back and listen to that because Yahweh is clearly trying to get us to understand something as we go to, into our heritage. Remember earlier, it, it, he said, it's not about one's will or the other's striving, but about God's mercy on both. What is God's mercy on both? It means Yeshua breaking down the wall of hostility and his peace as we both become one new man. Okay? He put hostility to death and he came and proclaimed shalom to you who were far away and shalom to those who were near. I just, I don't know about you guys, but like anytime I read the word, I felt like I've like, I've read this before, but this never, like, what? Like, why have I never, I mean, obviously it's in due time, right? Like precept upon precept and all that stuff. But I'm just like, this makes so much sense now. One was far off and one was near. For through him we both have access to the Father by the same breath. So then you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. You've been built on the foundation made up of the emissaries and prophets with Messiah Yeshua himself being the cornerstone. In him the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple for the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into God's dwelling place in the Holy Spirit. So when you, as we've talked about this, and as you read these scriptures and we, and we work our way towards Romans 11, you can understand that the, the natural propensity that, that kind of the historical context has, has led us into is this displacement or replacement or this arrogance that one is, is in and the other one's out. And if we understand the ministry of reconciliation that Paul taught about, then we wouldn't even think that way. Because it's not about my will or your striving, but God's mercy, right?
So let's go to Romans 11. Romans 11, we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 24. Talking about the olive tree. Romans 11, verse 16 says, If the first fruit is holy, so is the whole batch of dough. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive branch, referring to the Gentiles, were grafted in among them and became a partaker of the root of the olive tree with its richness, Do not boast against the branches, the ones that were separated. But if you do boast, it is not you who supports the root, but the root who supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. True enough, they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but fear, for if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Notice then the kindness and severity of God, severity toward those who fell, but God's kindness towards you. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. By the way, if you think about this, like in terms of covenant, and, you know, there's conversations about, you know, uh, what is it like, once saved, always saved, or can you fall, and if you look at it in terms of covenant, it's, it's, I mean, it's pretty clear right here, but if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. Okay? He's talking about the branches that were, that were severed. If they don't continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of that which by nature is a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to the nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Okay. <laughs> now, the, the question for me to, to make sense of all this is what is the root? Right? What just, what do you think? What's the root of the olive tree? Huh? Anybody else? I'm not saying. I just want to see what people think. I'm like, okay, any? <laughs> no. But what do you guys think when you hear the scripture? What, what is the root that we're grafted into? Huh? Belief? I think I heard somebody say lineage. So, church fathers, meaning like scholars that have been studying these type of things, narrow, their, their opinions are that the root is one of three things. It's either the Jews or the Jewish nation, Yeshua himself, or the patriarchs, meaning Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, now 
the conclusion that they've kind of, if I could say that they've come to in general, is that the root is referring to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the root that we've been grafted into. Now, what's interesting about this is no matter which one of those, we could disagree. We, you know, one person could say Yeshua, one could say the Jews and the Jewish nation, another person say the patriarchs, but they're all Jewish. Okay, so no matter how you look at it, the root that we're being grafted into is Jewish. To take it a step further, the root that we're being grafted into is Hebrew. We're being grafted into a Jewish root, yes, but we're also being grafted into a Hebrew root. Okay? Now, I want to kind of talk about how when you think about a literal olive tree, it's interesting because olive trees, from what I understand, can live for hundreds of years. And the way that you graft a wild branch into another olive tree is you graft it into the root. You don't, you don't graft it where the other branches are. Okay, and, and because olive trees can live for so long, the branches can all be dead and the root system can still be alive. So when you want new fruit from an olive tree where the branches are dead, you graft a wild or a new branch into the root. Okay, the tree can no longer be producing fruit. Okay, it could be dead up top where the branches are and you can take a new olive branch and graft it into the root system which is still alive. Okay? So when we go back and we look at those scriptures, when you, I, I just, hopefully this is hitting. Hopefully this is, I, I, don't, I don't know if it is or not, but to me, this is so profound for us to understand what Apostle Paul is talking about. Because like I said, Romans 1 through 8, <clears throat> the Protestant church is like, yeah, systematic theology, A, B, C, D, E, F, this is what we believe. 9, 10, and 11, I don't know, seems kind of Jewish, okay? One, one more thing that I'll say about a, a good way to think about replacement or displacement theology, okay? I, I, wanna, I want to say that I'm, I'm fairly confident that when you when you, when you look at this and when you understand about the ministry of reconciliation, it eliminates the possibility to be arrogant and to look at our, our capacity through Yeshua to be grafted in. You cannot arrogantly look and say, we're in, you're out. Because it's not about some one's thriving and another another's will, or excuse me, striving and another's will. It's about God's mercy, right? And what is Yeshua trying to accomplish? One new man in him. That is the ministry of reconciliation. And you can't read Romans 11 without looking at it through the lens of, of the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, a guy named Dwight Pryor said this about replacement theology. It's like saying God said, my olive tree isn't producing the fruit I want, so I'm going to replace it or displace it with a Christmas tree and, and, and put an orn, ordain it with or hang gifts on it. 
And I was just like, wow, that's replacing an olive tree with a Christmas tree. He's not, there's not two olive trees. There's not a different kind of tree because this one didn't produce fruit. He's grafting two things together in him. Okay, and, and I wanted to kind of lay the foundation of Romans 11 because we can't, the same way we, we looked at the rapture, we can't have that underlying mindset of replacement theology moving forward if we're going to understand our heritage and be connected to the fathers and the patriarchs who belong to Israel. If we're going to be grafted into the Jewish root, we can't be thinking we're in and you're out. Then you won't understand that connection anymore. Okay? Yeah, I want to just read uh, in Rome, continuing in Romans 11. I'm going <coughs> to kind of do just, I, I just kind of want to like, it's hard to understand which direction to go when you're talking about heritage because even when Missy was up here, she was like, I just, I'm so excited to build because we've already been torn down and I'm like, <laughs> Because as we build, there's going to be those moments where you're like, that wall didn't quite get in there. We're going to have to knock that one down. Because there's these underlying mindsets. When you guys are hearing about replacement theology, all of you may have said, I'm sure that that's some theologian and that doesn't have anything to do with me. If you are a Christian, which all of you have come out of, there is an underlying thing in you that believes in replacement theology because you have believed the church is the light. You have been told Christianity is it and, and it's, the Messiah is going to come back and he's going to come back for us and the Jews missed it and that's why we're here. The church is Israel. And the church is Israel. So if you are a Christian or a used to be Christian, which we're going to get into, but if we come from that background there's an aspect that that theology that he's talking about is in us. And so the reason why he's bringing this up isn't to just bring awareness to us that the church out there believes in replacement theology. It's to make sure that our family does not believe in replacement theology, that we're in and they're out. So I want to just kind of knock a couple of things just right, right from the beginning, because I think we're going to be in this for a while. Um, because he's, he's talking about some things when, when Apostle Paul wrote, every scripture that you read was written pre-70 AD. Yes? So timeline, it stops in the scripture before 70 AD. Okay? There are some things that happened around 300 AD that defined your religion that we've all come out of. We need to knock some of that down. So when we talk about church fathers, he's talking about the original fathers, not church fathers like Constantine or the Protestant church. You know, when, we, when we're celebrating Martin Luther for the Reformation and we're like, yeah, we got away from all those rules. All it was was another layer of anti-Semitism which means anti-Jewish religion that we all have proclaimed, amen and amen. We're not Catholics, we're Protestants. Yeah, Yeshua would have said, he, what is a Protestant? So there are some things that we as a family may identify because of our upbringing and what we've been taught from 300 AD. And what we're wanting to do is to dismantle that man-made religion and go back to the original intent. So when he says Jewishness or Hebrew is that we are going, people have asked, what are we? If I say I'm not a Christian, then what am I? 
we're going to answer that in heritage. We're going to be able to boldly say things like, I'm a Hebrew. Or we're going to be able to boldly say, I'm a, you know, I, uh, I am a believer of Yeshua HaMashiach, the, the, the Messiah. I am a follower of the way. We're going to begin to identify with first century believers because they were the ones leading the way. After first century believers, after that ended, there was religion after religion after religion based off speculation that was trying to uh, bring everyone together under their uh, speculations, under their theology. And so over the last 1,700 years, we've gone away from first century believers. First century believers is the time frame that Yeshua walked on this earth. So when we start talking about things like Hanukkah, people are like, the question that we've gotten is, so you're going to become, uh, you are now going down the road of Judaism. I want to talk about that tonight, okay? Because I, what I want to venture, what I want to begin to talk about is we are not going down the road of Judaism, but we are also not going down the road of Christianity. <laughs> okay? So when he took, here's why. What did he just talk about? There's two groups if you identify with either one, we've missed it because he's saying through the ministry of reconciliation, I'm wanting one new man to come out of that. And yeah. through that lineage will be yes. when he comes back. Yes. So if we don't get it, he's not coming back. That is the building. But if we can't adhere that we're going to be one new man and we're trying to say Jew or Gentile, we've missed it. Yeah. So we're here to demolish the Gentile mindset, and we're also here to de uh, demolish Judaism. But here's what I do want to do. I want to honor Judaism because that's the root. So if I'm being grafted, so what I'm trying to say is, is that scripture ultimately says, if you're just a branch grafted in, how easily can you be cut out? But just know you're not the one feeding the root. The root is feeding you. Mm -hmm. I could easily say this. Christianity cannot live on its own. It has to have Judaism to be a religion. Yes. Judaism is standalone. It doesn't need you to be it. Yes. The root of Judaism is what is feeding the whole thing. So how arrogant are we if we say, well, we're the branch grafted and acting like we're going to feed the root? No, the root feeds you. Okay. Is this making sense moving forward? I just want to kind of like outline what we're going to be doing because we're going to be dismantling the religion of Christianity just like Yeshua had to dismantle the religion of Judaism because there was purpose for him to bring forth that one new man. Okay? One thing to say, to add to that real quick, first century believers, it was self-evident to them the, Ju the Judaic elements of the faith. It was self-evident. Second century believers, it was kind of embarrassing. Third century and beyond that, it's totally obscure. And uh, you go ahead and mark that right there because I have to read this. And we're going to get into that because first century Jewish believers and Gentiles got along. It wasn't until later 
that there be, there came things to be able to basically bring in anti-Semitism to, to make the separation very bold. That's why Paul, it's so normal. He's saying that some people say that that's just a parenthesis at the end of Paul. What if I said that's his explanation point to everything he said? It's the most important chapters. And what he's talking about is bringing forth that one new man. And so what happened was, was as they began to move after Yeshua's uh, resurrection, it began to form into religions that what, I'm not gonna get into it tonight, but what I wanna say is, is it wasn't just, hey guys, we're, we're, we're replacing uh, Judaism. It was anti-Semitism. It was the, it was, let me say it this way. Martin Luther, right, reformationist, gets away from the Catholic Church, becomes Protestant, right? Hero. His writings are used, his writings at the end of his life were used for Hitler to do the Holocaust. So while we have honored reformationists to be these Protestant Christians, their premise to their religion was to wipe out the wipe out Jews and wipe out who they are and and, and uh, the most oppressed people are the Jewish nation. Twelve Holocausts they've survived and they still stand on the Torah. If you think about everything that we released about Hanukkah, they are a, they are a family that have safeguarded the truth and they are the most oppressed people because they are God's chosen. Right? Set aside, set apart. And so I want to just make sure that we understand that not only are we just dismantling some things, we're going to have to, there's going to be a real repentance that is going to come. Because if we're supposed to be one new man and our foundation is founded on anti-Semitism to get rid of these people, how ingrained is this when I start talking about Ruth and Boaz and I say you're supposed to marry them? What if I said that they are the ones that are going to bring him because we are here to provoke them to jealousy? Not we're the church, now go evangelize, and we have nothing to do with all that. That's the purpose of the whole gospel, is for us to come to the light, to provoke them to jealousy, that they would see him as the light. But it's not going to be through, we know it, it's going to be through honoring that they're the root. And I'll get into that with Ruth, Ruth uh, and Boaz as, as a picture of what's coming for us. But I want to read this uh, just because I think that this is, uh, I mean, it's just super powerful. But Romans 11, verse 25. For I do not want you, brothers and sisters, to be ignorant of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own eyes that a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. There is an honor that comes, not that they missed it, but if they didn't, you wouldn't have access. Mm -hmm. It is his plan. A partial hardening has happened so that you would have access. If they did not get hardened to the Messiah, you would not have access to him. It was part of his plan. The end of his plan is not that they've been done away with, but that we would provoke them to jealousy to make covenant with them so that one new man comes forth. 
I do not want you guys to be ignorant of this mystery. And it's interesting to me how we can spend all of our lives in Christianity and have no idea what the gospel is about. I mean that it, do not be wise in your own eyes. This is why the church is divided after divided after divided after divided. And we've missed the whole foundation of what it's about. Okay. So I do not want us to be ignorant of this mystery because it is in this mystery that we are going to be able to understand the whole gospel. What was, what is now, and what is to come. Okay? So when we're talking about the feasts and we're rehearsing, there's a purpose to that. So when people ask questions, um, so are you, are you uh, going down the road of Judaism? No, what you're saying is, is I'm finding my original intent that I am a Hebrew. Okay? Because we're not going down Judaism, but we are also, here's the problem, we are not going down the road of Christianity either. Because that is not it. Remember when we were going all over all the laws? Didn't it sound very familiar to the rabbinical laws that happened? The Torah is one thing. It was the Mishnah and the Talmud and all the oral law that they were interpreting and interpreting and interpreting, interpreting and making rules and rules and rules. And then it was Orthodox Jew and then this kind of Jew. And it was separation after separation after separation. Then Yeshua comes and then we start the whole process over again. I am the one that is going to go to school and I'm going to be the one that is going to tell all of these people exactly how to interpret the Bible. Here's all the rules and regulations and this is what you're going to do and this is how you're going to say it. We're going to call ourselves a church which was never in the Bible and we're going to do this and we're going to do this and we're going to have our premise and founded under we hate those people which means you hate Jesus. But anti-Semitism while you're saying praise Yeshua. Okay, so then we started all over again, and then we're like, yeah, you know, you know, Catholicism, and then, and then, oh, that's not working, so then Protestant, and then, oh, and then Baptist, and you just keep going and going and going for the exact same thing that they were in then. Okay? All right, so, did you want me to go over this story? Yeah, just... As Read this. Okay. Analogy of... So we're going to get into Ruth, and this is a picture of, uh, of it, it, to me, it is a picture. Look at this as it happened. Look at this as it is happening. Look at this as it's a prophetic book of what is going to happen. Okay? Do not plead with me. I'm in Ruth 1, 15 through 16. Do not plead with me to abandon you, to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Do you guys understand what that is saying outside of a personal relationship? Okay. Ruth was a Moabite, a Gentile, a you. You are Ruth in this story, okay? Naomi, just for, just, just for simplistic terms, is Jewish, okay? She loses her sons, and she has no tie anymore to a daughter-in-law through the death of her sons. There is no reason for her two daughters, two daughter-in-laws, to follow her. And she says, I want to go back to my land, Okay? We are saying we want to go back to our land. 
okay? We have an, we have an op- opportunity, right? There was two, there was two daughter-in-laws, o- Opa, Orpa, Orpa, and Ruth. <laughs> the book is called Ruth, it's kind of important. But if you wanna be Orpa, go for it. She kind of vanishes after she's in that story. So if you wanna kind of jump in and then jump out and then never be seen, go right ahead. <laughs> We've preached on that before, what she means. Her name means I will turn my back on you. My neck will see the back of you. Apostasy. It's apostasy, yes. Divorce. It is divorce. Apostasia means divorce. So Christian believers, you have two choices. You can say as a Protestant Christian, I've turned my back on the land. I'm going to do my own thing. Divorcing yourself. And divorce yourself from the olive branch. Then you have Ruth as a Gentile, does not have any access to Israel at all, has, has no access except through to follow Naomi. Let your God be my God. Let your people be my people. Okay, so let me, let me say it this way. The, Jew, the Jewish nation or Jews, and we're going to get into more of that, so I'm just making it very simple when I say Gentile and Jew because there's more, more to it than that, but they never broke covenant. Okay, they did not, obviously, if they're not Jewish believers, they, don't, they did not receive the Messiah, but they never broke covenant with Yahweh. Their God is our God. They, did, they never broke covenant. The Gentiles are the ones that divorced from that covenant, which is why Messiah came so that we would have access to go back into a covenant. Okay? That's why it's important. Multiple covenants in one promise. So you have Ruth that follows her. When she chooses to follow her, she then is sent out and ends up meeting the kinsman redeemer, Boaz. Okay? They end up having a baby and they uh, basically give that baby to Naomi. Think about this prophetically. You are Ruth. Naomi would be a Jewish nation. You follow that route. Let your God be my God. Let your people be my people. You end up being sent out to be married into through a kinsman redeemer where the lineage of Yeshua ends up coming. Here's what I'm trying to say. At the end of the day, when she had her child, she was still a Gentile, but she married Boaz who was Jew. That is a prophetic picture of what is to come, that we are to marry through covenant to birth a lineage. Okay? So a lot of times when we're reading through these stories, we kind of just, oh, that's so powerful, and we take it very personal. But this is a prophetic picture of the one new man. This is a prophetic picture of following a nation back to our land, back to the original intent, being sent out and marrying into through a kinsman redeemer that would allow a lineage to come through Jew and Gentile. Together, he came. Isn't that powerful? He came through the lineage of Jew and Gentile. 
And we have said, we have adopted, or there's been an underlying current that we are Gentiles. How many of you, and, and maybe as we're ministering, what I feel in the room is like, well, yeah, amen. But I want to know how many people, when we were going over the feast, said, I'm not Jewish. Thank you, Jen, for being honest. Not that you have because all I this get intent, not that, but it's just that. But I mean, how many of us? Why are we doing the feast? We're not. We're not in Judaism. I'm not. I'm not a Jew. How are we going to marry into and bring forth a lineage, especially when the Torah says to honor that? If we can't even honor the root, we stand because of that root. We stand here because of Judaism. It's not just some like, <clears throat> I, I mean, I'm trying to think of like Buddhism, right? It's just another religion. Christianity is founded on Judaism. It's the same Yahweh. And somehow 1700 years has kind of just done this anti-Semitic, get rid of them. The Torah was for them because they were so horrible. They didn't know what they were doing. So they needed all the laws and rules and regulations. And so here we are and saved by grace and through Yeshua, I don't have to do anything. Yeah. So when we start introducing the Torah, it's like, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't have to, I don't have to listen to all that. Why would I have to honor the feasts, right? But we will die on a battleground for our paganism. And that's, and that's a step further. Christianity at least said that that was the foundation. Yeah, I'm, well, I shouldn't say at least. I mean, anti-Semitism is pretty bad. But I'm just saying there's another whole sect of paganism out there that has nothing to do with Yahweh. I mean, complete divorce, complete, completely lost. So then what we're gonna get into is about 325 AD. He's talking about the Apostles' Creed. We're gonna get into the Constantine Creed that we all fall under as Christians that basically renounced everything Hebrew. Hebrew language, gone. Somebody took your heritage and you fell for it. Why do I have to learn Hebrew? I live in America. Somebody told you it didn't matter. What's Somebody said, we hate this. Somebody said, we're not going to go off that calendar because I want all the Romans to feel comfortable. And since they follow the sun God, I'm going to change the Holy Sabbath. So all of us, all of us have adopted that Sabbath is on Sunday. It's not on Sunday. Constantine said, because you follow the sun God, and so you honor the sun God on Sunday, and because these Jewish people, they, do fr they, they honor Sabbath, why don't we blend the two together, and why don't we do Sabbath on Sunday and make everybody happy, and that's gonna be our new creed. Uh, and, and not make everybody happy, but I don't want anything to do with Hebrew. I don't want anything to do with J Jewish. Because I wanna be the leader of this religion. So I want them to see me, not this. There goes church, the word church. That was a rendition way after this was written. It was, why don't we call them a fellowship group? Because gosh forbid they would know their authority in Yeshua. So we'll just tell them that they're a cute little group. 
that gets together for coffee on Sundays because that's when Sabbath is. <laughs> I'm just saying there, I mean, baptisms, we're gonna relearn baptisms. You wanna learn what a mitzvah is, we're gonna learn what a baptism is. We're gonna learn what it means to walk the way that Yeshua walked. And so to know that we've been following like uh, Christian forefathers that basically said, I want nothing to do with Hebrew culture. I want nothing to do with Jewishnessness. I want nothing to do with all of that. And we've said, amen. And we have, I mean, think about the culture. How hard was it when we said, can we stop doing Sunday and do Friday night? It was like, not Sunday. <laughs> but what if I said that Sunday came from people following the sun God and it has nothing to do with Sabbath. Then when we introduce the Torah and we talk about the Holy Sabbath where you're supposed to set aside a day where you just honor him and you rest and you separate yourself from the world. All of a sudden it's like life. But to, but to those it's not life. It's like, but this is what I've known. There's that Greek. I'm a Greek. This is right. This is wrong. And it's like, no. So what's going to happen as we begin to dismantle this, we're going to begin to dismantle where we have come from and we're going to obtain who he is and where we do come from. And I just want to make sure that it's clear that what has, what has been presented to us is over 1,700 years of theology and doctrine that has led us astray in some very foundational truths like don't honor the feasts. Who knows anything about Passock? Who knows anything about unleavened bread? Who knows anything about first fruits? We're gonna get into this. Who is the first fruit? Yeshua is the first fruit of all of those that are asleep. And we don't honor the feast of first fruits? So then when you start ministering on how Yeshua is your first fruit, and we start talking about first fruits, and we start talking about a harvest, we're like, huh? Because we're not honoring the Feast of First Fruits and even understanding what that means so you don't know who he is. There's so many Hebrew idioms and things in here that was common knowledge to first century and we've missed it for somebody's theology or man's interpretation. Amen? So when things like that, like we're going to honor the feasts and uh, I mean, I don't even know what else is to come, but there's, there's going to be a lot. And, and you, can tell, you can feel that tug of war. That tug of war, if I could be as bold as to say that tug of war is not in you. It's been handed down to you and it needs to be broken. It's not you saying, I don't want this. This is a heritage, a wrong heritage that has been handed down to you that we have submitted to and we are breaking away from that and going back to a pure, clean hair. You're not going to lose anything. You're going to gain everything. It's going to feel like, no, not Sunday. I mean, I'm not talking to you. I'm not, uh, right? I, but for those that are listening, how ingrained is this Christian culture? I mean, you talk about just Sunday and it's like, no. Have you, have you read the, and this is what's so crazy. They'll look at me. I mean, can you tell that story on, uh, about all the comments when, what did that guy say about, I'm not a Christian and it was like 400 comments versus two that were like, you are insane. You are a heretic. You cannot renounce Christianity. I mean, and they're ratting off scripture and we're sitting like watching like popcorn. <laughs> because there is a remnant. 
People are waking up and we are going to sound and look and just be because you're 1700 years of indoctrinating and not and, and having to face yourself that you didn't look into it yourself. Who, who, where was I when I didn't go, why are we meeting on Sunday morning? Where was I when I was like, um, Sabbath is on Friday night. He rose on Saturday morning. Why are we doing Easter on, wait, hold on. I wasn't doing that because I just went, "Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm, amen. Just like I want you guys to do that now. You, you have to, you have to be the one to dive into this and read. And, and, And this is what a Hebrew thinker does. How does this challenge me? Let it challenge you. I want it to challenge you. I want you to come to me and be like, no, I don't know about this. Because, because what it does is it, get, it, it, it gets you to think for yourself. <laughs> Amen? But, but, but being able to bring enough truth to be able to guide us in a direction, and I just wanted to kind of outline uh, what we're going to be getting into, is we are going to get into the details about uh, Constantine. Okay? We're going to talk about Constantine's creed. I think that that's what they call it which has been the Christian creed. He's talking about first century creed, but there was one that came out 325 years late, well, 325 AD. That's 300 and some years after Yeshua. This creed comes forth and renounces everything that he is. And that is where the Christian church was birthed. What I'm trying to say to us is if we were a Christian, we started at 325 AD. I wanna take us back to three AD even before, and we'll get there. When we, when we dismantle this, we're going back to the tribes, guys. We're going all the way back to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we're gonna find out. What if I told you something as powerful as that out of the, out of the 12 tribes, there's Gentiles. Okay? Talk about a heritage. Where was Joseph when he had his two sons, Ephraim and Menashe? He was married to an Egyptian woman, Gentile. And Jacob adopts those two. Come. This is so, two, two sons, mm-hmm. two houses, mm-hmm. Ephraim, Menashe, uh, Manashe. You have Jacob adopts them. Yeah. Okay, he releases them. They become a part of the, of the tribes. Now read Revelations, they're there. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna, get, we're gonna find out what tribe we came from. We're gonna find out our birth portion. You have a birth portion, did you know that? The, Jew, the, the Jewish, <laughs> the Jewish, uh, the, the Jews, they read a Torah portion every single week. Torah portion is there's a scripture in the portion every single week. You can find out the year and the date that you were born, which you know, like my birthday, it's not September 15th, 1981, because in the Hebrew calendar, it wouldn't be on the same day in, you know, in our calendar. So you can go back to the year that you were born. You can find out what Torah portion they were reading at the time that you were born. And that Torah portion is a part of your destiny scroll. There is some heritage for us that we have been robbed from because we don't want to say the word Torah. Because we want to say, well, that's Old Testament. Mm -hmm. That's not even the right word. It's not called Old Testament. It's not called New Testament either. It's Barak Hadishah. It's the good news. It's the renewed covenant. 
There's some things that are coming that we've been stripped from and robbed from, and he wants to come and he wants to bring that pure her uh, heritage to us. Amen? So. I want to say a couple more things. We look at, right? Like when the scripture says, a house divided cannot stand. This is good. It's not talking about one person in the church wants to start this ministry and the pastor doesn't agree. And so we're divided and we can't have that or else the house, the church is going to fall apart. Right? And how distracted are we? Because how many sermons have you heard about that? I have heard it over and over. I mean, podcast after podcast talks about all of a sudden there's strife in the church and the sermon starts coming. A house cannot stand when it's divided. It's like, that has nothing to do. We are so arrogant. It is not about this house. So let me show you something. <laughs> when you think about Ruth and that prophetic picture, this, this is two sides of a house that's going to be brought back into unity. The Gentiles represent the light of the house and the Jews represent the standard of the house. Okay? If you think about the ministry of reconciliation that Apostle Paul said each and every single one of you carries... Mm -hmm. Okay, if you operate like Orpah instead of Ruth and you turn your back on the Jews, you don't operate, you don't operate in the ministry of reconciliation. You don't touch the dividing wall of hostility. And ultimately, you don't say your people are my people. Your God is my God. You don't encounter the kinsman redeemer, mm -hmm. kin, mm -hmm. redemption of family, yep. redemption of heritage. Yes continuing the lineage that you're supposed to be grafted into, okay? Which also means that you're turning your back on a standard. And what have we been learning the most is that our standards, they matter and we haven't had them. But if you're Ruth though, this wall is no longer here. Your people are my people. I'm in covenant with you. I'm gonna go where you go. You're operating in the ministry of reconciliation and heritage is unlocked to you. I want to tell you guys something crazy before, I don't know who's coming up here, but um, as I was studying this, I just felt led to go back and listen to, to podcasts from before. And what I realized that was so cool is that for the last three years in January, God has brought us back to greater revelation of family for the last three years, every year in January. And when we talk about the patriarchs in heritage, meaning that fathers have assigned a, a harvest for you to occupy, the last, if I'm correct, the last January, the greater revelation, and I listened to it, was God's family of harvest. Like God's been, he's been bringing us to this place. This isn't, you know, when I go back, cause I, you know, not often, but times I'll go back and, and just look at the path that we've been on. And it's not by accident. It's not a coincidence, none of it. It's, it's amazing to me to go back and listen to just what God has been doing over a span of years. It's, so. I also wanna make sure that I'm just being bold as well that while this covenant didn't get broken, they still need the light. So it's not just, you know, one way, but what we're gonna learn through our heritage is how to be a light. We've been taught how to be a light by street preaching. 
you know, and I'm not saying that that's wrong. I, I, I mean, more, I mean, that's awesome. But what is that light and what does that mean for the ministry of reconciliation? Okay. Because something's going to come when we begin to honor what it is that he honors and we begin to rehearse. When we're rehearsing those things, there's an honor that comes. I'm talking about like rehearsing Pasach, rehearsing Sukkot. And all of a sudden it's like, what? And, and there begins to be an, an, an honor. So there's a standard and there's a light that needs to come together. My point is, is that without the light, all you have is law. All you have is standard. But if all you are is a free flowing light filled with grace, you have no standard and we're not getting anywhere. And we are a house divided that is not going to stand. Okay. And um, there was, oh, I was, I want to say something prophetically and spiritually. My sister actually brought this to my attention from Florida. So if you're listening, Donna, I love you. Uh, but she made me aware that this Constantine Creed, which is where Christianity started. So this is basically what I want you guys to get out of all of tonight is that what we're dismantling is that the reason why we're saying, the reason why we're saying that we're not Christian is because that that started 300 years later. Something's off with that. I want to be a first century believer. Okay. I don't want to be a Christian. Okay, that's all, that's, all I'm, that's all I'm getting at. But what I wanna say that's so powerful is when the, when the, when the uh, Council of Nicaea, which was the, which was the, um, the people at the time that were leading the, the, all the, the churches and, and religion, and when the division really began, what I'm trying to say is Jew and Jew believer were fine for a while. And then there began this hate because there were lies that, were, that people had believed that Jews are the ones that killed Messiah. So if any of you are like, but they did, this pillar is for you because that's what we've been taught. We did, we did that, right? We understand that, we did that. So when that happened, that's why the Holocaust, the premise for every single Holocaust has been in the name of Yeshua. Every Holocaust has been in the name of Jesus Christ. Every Jew should, be, should, should die because they missed it and they killed him. It's been in his name that we've been able to do this. Okay? So what is happening this what's, next month? What's the 1700? That's what I'm getting to. Oh, okay. This next month <laughs> is exactly 1700 years later. This next month in the month of Adar. This mm. month. 1700 year anniversary when this creed came out and we adopted Christianity. That was not planned. When we were like, we should have an anyways meeting. And then I think our next pillar is heritage. That is not planned that we are tapping into heritage and this exact teaching on the 1700 year anniversary when this all started and what we are doing as a remnant to break that down, break that away from us and go back to the original intent first century believers which of course, first century believers is going to lead us to a greater lineage because where did Yeshua come from? Ruth, Boaz, David, the tribes, right? It just is gonna get bigger and bigger and bigger and greater and greater and greater, but we've got to start here for us to at least have some, to, to, under, to have some understanding, amen? Is that powerful? 1700 years later, as a remnant, we get to say it's done with us. We're breaking away with something on that anniversary to say that is not our heritage. Wait till I read it. You are going to be on your knees 
saying, I don't want any part of that. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Kingdom Heirs International. If you have received insight and revelation with this message, we invite you to claim that revelation by trading on the trading floor with this ministry. You can do that at kingdomheirsflag.org. Thank you.